Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. It's very clear. Our love is here to stay. Not for all year, but ever and a day. As the Sydney Anglican Network puts it, there is no issue of more contemporary concern than militant Islam. But the big mistake is to become unduly alarmist. In Dr Stuart Robinson's award-winning book, Mosques and Miracles, he outlines what is happening in the UK, Europe, USA and Africa, and the progress of the Islamisation of Australia, the historical origins of Islam, its basic beliefs and practices, and where is God in all of this? Stuart, can you give us a brief history of your involvement with Muslims? Yes, uh, I've been involved with Muslims now for actually more than four decades. Uh, I left Australia in the 60s and went to uh, live in South Asia in a majority Muslim country and lived there for quite a number of years before coming back to Australia. And uh, here in Australia, uh, I've continued uh, my involvement with uh, various Muslim peoples who live in our immediate vicinities, as well as uh, frequently visiting uh, various Muslim countries, uh, stretching from, uh, say, the Philippines in the west, right, uh, or in the east, rather, right across to uh, the Middle East itself and many countries in between. So I keep in touch, keep learning, keep growing, and uh, today I have uh, a number of wonderful Muslim friends. What is it within you that uh, is firing this desire for that particular area of the globe? It was something that God put on my heart. I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and uh, I was first awakened to uh, Islam actually as a college student. I, uh, when I was at university, I spent a couple of years studying communism because this was in the height of the Cold War and everyone thought that was the, the main uh, enemy which the free West was going to face. Uh, but after studying uh, internally communism for a couple of years, I arrived at the conclusion that it had built within it the seeds of its own destruction and would probably not last more than about 70 years. Uh, in essence, thus far, I was only out by a couple of years because, as you know, uh, the Soviet Union collapsed and uh, all of that sort of went by the wayside in Eastern Europe. I think it took about 72 years, actually. And I continued on studying and came across Islam. And uh, as the more I delved into Islam, I came to appreciate that here, in fact, was something which had been around for 1,400 years. And although communism made wonderful claims about future utopia and uh, Mao Zedong's little red book would last for 10,000 years, all that sort of stuff, uh, none of it had any bearing in fact, and it would disappear. And, and even today in China, as capitalism gradually eats up communism there. Uh, but we see Islam has been around for 1,400 years. Uh, it's never changed. It sometimes lulls into recession, but then it resurges in revival movements again. And in fact, uh, this was uh, a far more serious matter than anyone in the West was uh, taking note of, and that sparked my interest. The hardest question I can put to you right now, I guess, is can you summarise what the origin of Islam is and its beliefs in a couple of minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the challenge. And the answer is no, right? <laughs> no, 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 I'll have a go at that. Uh, Islam is an ideology which uh, came to, to the world uh, mostly through the sayings of uh, a person called Muhammad, uh, whom his followers called a prophet. And uh, these uh, sayings uh, came to him allegedly through the uh, revelations of a being of light, uh, whom he called in English, we would 
would say the Archangel Gabriel, uh, and that happened over a, a, a number of years. Uh, and uh, upon his death, when he had obtained uh, political power over uh, Medina and Mecca and uh, tribes in Arabia, uh, his followers continued following his teachings. Those teachings were later codified uh, and it took a couple of hundred years for the process until they emerged in uh, a book form, which today we call the Quran, which although Muslims say that the words of the Quran actually exist on tablets permanently in the seventh heaven that were handed down to the first or lowest heaven and then through Gabriel to Muhammad, and that these words are immutable, unchangeable, uh, the Quran does exist in a number of different versions. And so today it is the teachings of that book, plus the life of the, of the Prophet Muhammad, plus the traditions which surround him, which have also been collected, tens of thousands of them, collected in uh, authenticated versions. And these three volumes, the Quran, the traditions, and the biographies of the Prophet, form the foundations of the practice of Islam today. But there were no witnesses when he had the revelation, when he had the, uh, the visions, were there? Uh, initially, no, that's true. And uh, for a long time, he doubted himself that uh, he was of prophetic status and all that sort of thing. But uh, he was encouraged uh, by his wife to uh, believe it was so. I haven't got time to go into the story surrounding it all, other than that she was a great encouragement, and then other followers believed in him. And when you study the, the revelations and what was happening in the life of the person at that time, it is amazing how many of these, of course, uh, are in support of the actions of the prophet. Uh, it was almost, uh, and I hesitate to say it, a self-serving or a self-saving device on so many occasions where he was challenged and he would reply, well, this is what uh, Allah reveals through me. Um, yeah, so it came about in that way. In your book, you talk about the Islamization of the world. How far along has England progressed towards being a Muslim nation? Uh, quite a ways, actually. Uh, that's why they are uh, having such difficulties now. Uh, there are certain cities in England already, the centre of which are majority Muslim places like Birmingham and uh, some of these other places, or parts of London are known as Londinistan, uh, around the lampposts of some of those places. There, there were wrapped the, uh, the photographs of the 19 guys that brought down the New York towers, and of course they're referred to as the Magnificent 19. Uh, as uh, Muslim leaders make increasing demands on the British system and the political leaders are prepared to uh, sell out their historical values and traditions uh, as do political leaders almost in every democratic country because their eye is simply on the next election. Uh, so as they sell out to gain a few votes, uh, so then more demands are placed upon them. A typical one was the introduction of uh, uh, Sharia law for domestic issues like marriage and divorce and so forth. And, and interestingly, uh, the same demand or request is being made of the Australian government from some leaders of the Muslim community, according to the press reports. But when the government finally decided, yes, we will allow this parallel system, uh, they thought there would be about five courts. And in fact, they found that already in existence, unrecognized by them, there was 
something in the vicinity of 50 or 70 courts that had been in operation for some time. Having won that, then there comes the additional demands for whether it's halal food centres or a whole range of cultural change, the Islamic finance matters. Each of these softens up a nation like Britain, uh, makes it easier for uh, future encroachments of Islamic ideology across that which was. And uh, Britain uh, and its uh, previously liberalised church has quite a history now of uh, appeasement movements and even the Archbishop of Canterbury is famous or infamous, however you want to put that, for saying, well, uh, Sharia, some aspects of Sharia law mightn't be too bad for Britain. Of course, uh, he uh, perhaps he can be forgiven for saying that because he's never lived under Sharia law and may not understand the implications of it. When I think about some areas I know of in Australia, for, uh, for instance, Auburn in Sydney, what about the progress in Australia? Yeah, well, the, we are further behind uh, because the numbers and the percentages are smaller. But as you uh, wander around the world, as I do, the pattern is always the same. And it happens uh, muchly through Islamic immigration into various countries. And uh, the first thing that will be required is to establish a mosque. And that becomes the, the center of the activities of the society and Muslim peoples will cluster around that mosque and uh, take, what shall we say, a territory. So this becomes an Islamic area. And uh, so it, it's another way of taking territory. Then, of course, we've seen in our press here in Australia of recent times where they claim they're victimized because they're not accepted in other suburbs, etc., etc. Uh, Muslim peoples in various contexts claim the victim status. But it's not quite true because I have plenty of uh, counter anecdotes where Muslims having taken over areas uh, then pressure non-Muslims to move out of those areas so they become more uh, uh, Islamic enclaves. And that's true uh, in various countries in Western Europe uh, as well as in Australia and place, some places in America. With Al-Qaeda avenging blood for blood after Osama's death and uh, the new statement that was released, um, America's happiness will turn to unhappiness. What could that mean for Australia? Firstly, I'd want to say that uh, Osama's death is of relatively little relevance to the Islamist movement. Uh, to, to say that that uh, is of great significance and it will represent a severe setback, that's like a doctor who's treating a sick patient uh, and treating his symptoms temporarily but not worrying about the main disease. And in the case of uh, Islamization, it's the ideology, uh, not individual soldiers like Osama bin Laden, that presses on. And history is very clear in the past where Islamic leaders have been uh, killed or assassinated or whatever. Their movements have only grown stronger and stronger and spread more and more. And I can give you plenty of historic examples of that. So the movement will continue to grow. It will continue to expand. And it is here in Australia. It doesn't have to be related organizationally to Osama bin Laden or any of his representatives in the part of the world where he is. And, of course, already we've seen a number of people jailed in our country and down here in Melbourne where I am or up where you are for uh, jihadist activities or attempted activities. I would imagine that will go on. 
uh, not by all Muslims, of course, but uh, there'll always be this enthusiastic fringe which uh, leads the charge for the taking over of any nation, and that is an Islamic or a standard Muslim uh, obligation which is laid upon all of its followers. Yes, I saw on a current affair how uh, they spoke to a Muslim woman who said that what is going on doesn't represent what we believe. Um, <laughs> there is a doctrine within Islam called the doctrine of taqiyya or uh, kitman, and uh, this is the allowance of uh, dissimulation or deception for the protection of the advancement of religion. And so you'll often hear these claims, oh, that's only a few radical people, we're male moderate and all that sort of stuff. But when you read the, the, the speeches, the sermons, the writings of Muslims speaking in their own communities where the Westerners or the infidels or the non-Muslims media are not present, then the presentation is somewhat different. And uh, it, ultimately, of course, it comes down to who leads and what calls they make. I mean, there are only very few people in Germany who were members of the Nazi party or few people in Russia who are members of the Communist Party. But these movements, they captured entire nations, even though they were and remained only a minority of those, uh, those particular countries. And it's, it's the same within uh, Muslim nations and Muslim movements. Dr. Stuart Robinson, author of Mosques and Miracles and a world authority on Islam after 40 years of research and living amongst them and in their culture overseas. We'll have part two of this interview next week. In all of this, I'm reminded about such a seemingly simple verse in the Bible, yet very profound. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a free gift. I can only imagine when that day comes And I find myself standing in the sun I can only imagine when all I would do Is forever, forever worship you I can only imagine, yeah